whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, with the, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went into the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I, will, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father? And he said, and Here my son. Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they both went, so but they both of them, so they went both of them together. And they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there, and laid wood in order. He bound Isaac, his son. He laid him on the altar of wood. Abraham stretched forth his hand, and he took the knife to slay his son. The angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven, and he said, Abraham! Abraham! And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, and seeing that, thou not, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes, and looked, behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram, and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mouth of the Lord it shall be seen. This morning we're going to preach a message just entitled, Father of Fathers. Let's take a moment to pray. Father, we're glad to be here this morning, and we're glad to celebrate fatherhood. It is an order in which God you created, and Father, may we as fathers relish in it. May we obey you in it. May God, we act as Father Abraham acted, faithful, faithful most of all to you, to you, O oh God, our Heavenly Father. May all of us here today see that, God, you faithfully provide, you faithfully provide, even in the most difficult of situations. Well, thank you for it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Two fathers here. You have a heavenly father. You have Abraham. You have a father of, you both of them are a father of many nations. Both of them give blessings. Both of them only have one son. Both of them are the father of Jesus. Both of them are required to sacrifice that only son. Both of them knew that that son would rise again, but only one of them had to go through the trial, and that was God the Heavenly Father. One is Abraham, Father Abraham, as we sing sometimes in the little children's song, Father Abraham had many sons. I won't perform it for you this morning or anything, all right? You're not going to get any joy out of seeing that this morning. And the other one is Father God. 
One is Abraham, the father of the Jews. The other is the Abba father, which is in our hearts. As Galatians 4, 6, and 7 says, And because you are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son, and of a son than an heir of God through Christ. And so we're going to look at these two fathers today and see and learn from them how we can be more faithful to God in our service for him. And by remaining faithful to him, we'll see that God remains faithful to us. He always remains faithful to us. Faithful is he that calleth you that also will do it. Faithful. God is a faithful God. And he's called all of us. And I'm speaking to fathers here for a moment, as fathers do, to remain faithful. Remain faithful. But understand this, that as we walk in our Christian life, it will not be without some trials. Amen? It will not be without some temptations. It will not be without some scars and some difficulties that will come apart upon our lives. And here in the very first verse of our text this morning, it says, And the Lord tempted Abraham. It says he tempted, and God did tempt Abraham. I thought the Bible says in the book of James that, that God does not tempt any man. What does this mean, this word tempt here? Why would our King James translators use such a word? Well, the point is here, I think, is obvious, is that it's not that God was tempting him to sin, but rather the trial was such a large and difficult task that the Bible lets it translate as this word tempt. It was just a task. It was a trial. It was a test of great magnitude, you might say. His greatest test of his whole entire life. And I'm inclined to believe, as many, are, as many others are to believe, that oftentimes many of us will face a test as this. Not that you'll have to be required to sacrifice your firstborn son, Luke, or anything like that. But I believe that all of us face a most, I think we all face just tests in our life, difficult tests, hard times may come. But I think all of us, all of us will be put through the ringer at least one very difficult test in life. One very faith-shattering or faith-altering or faith-grounding test. All of us will be put through this. And it may come early, it may come late. Joseph had such a test, did he not? Remember Joseph's test? When they're in Genesis chapter number 39, his, here's Potiphar's wife. She comes to him. She was wanting to uh, have an affair with him, had committed adultery with him, and he refuses her. Sometimes we're giving many tests. Sometimes there's multiple tests. Sometimes we get redos. Aren't you glad for retests sometimes? Amen? Jacob had some hard tests that came to him, and he failed them. But then one fateful night, God came to him, and he wrestled with an angel. And he passed the test. Friends, God is going to send all of us tests, and it's going to come in our lives, but those tests are there to bring us closer to God. That's why Abraham is being tested here, is to prove out his faith. And he says that, obviously, to us in verse number, chapter number 22 and verse number 13. He says this, or excuse me, verse number 12. And he says, the purpose of why I had you do this, he says, lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him, for now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. The purpose of this test was to see his faith in God. His faith in God. But we see also there's a matter of readiness. A matter of readiness. Look here in verse number 1 of chapter number 22 again. It says, and God did tempt Abraham. And Abraham said unto him, what? Behold, what did he say? Here am I. Here I am. It's a matter of readiness. 
when God calls for you to read, what do you say? When God wants you to react or to respond, I should say, what does he, what do you say, here am I? Are you ready to listen? Are you ready to obey? Are you ready at a moment's notice to listen to God? We ought to all be ready. Whatever God puts us in, whatever opportunity God gives to us, wherever God has us in our life, we ought to be ready. We ought to be able to say, here am I. Use me. Here am I. Send me. Here am I, God. I need your help. Here am I, God. I will be used of you. You tell me, God, what you want me to do. That's what Abraham is saying here. And then there is the direct command. He tells them this very heart-breaking command. And it builds. Have you ever noticed verse number 2 builds upon itself? He says now, he says, take now thy son. Oh, well, he's got two sons, Ishmael and Isaac, right? Okay, well, which son are you talking about? Then he says, take now thy son. Then he says, thine only son, Isaac. All right, it's getting narrowing down here. And he says, and get thee, he says, and then he says, whom thou lovest. It's building. Take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom you love. Abraham, this is what I want you to do. This is the requirement. It's a direct command. And then he says, get thee to the land of Moriah. Okay. We're going to have to travel about three days to get there. Then what? Then I want you to offer him there. In modern vernacular, that means he's going to have to kill him. He's going to have to kill his only son that he loved. We'll speak more to this here in just a little bit. But this is obviously, we're going to see a correlation very much in tied into the gospel of Jesus Christ. Genesis 22 is probably one of the greatest types that you find in the Bible. We'll get there in just a moment. But Abraham was being prepared, even as a very old man. Remember how old he was whenever he had Isaac? How old was he? Wasn't he like 99 years old, something like that? 100 years old. He was an old man. He was very old, and now Isaac is 12, 13, 14, 15 years old. He's not just 100 now. He's 112, 115, 116 years old. Can you imagine that the greatest test of Abraham's life came at 115 years old? <laughs> that tells you something. That can tell you something that doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are. I mean, uh, it was Samuel that was only seven years old whenever he was sitting in the temple. And it was God that called him there, right? God has no, is, no is no respecter of persons, my friend. God is no respecter of age. God doesn't care if you're five years old, seven years old, uh, 16 years old, 20 years old, 80 years old, 115 years old. God is looking to use people. Can he use you? Can he use you? Can he use you, dads? He can if you have a spirit of readiness. Hear mine. Hear mine. Send me. During the Great Depression, a man had lost his job and was exhausted. He had forfeited his savings and he was looking for work. His grief had been multiplied by the sudden loss of his wife. He was looking for work all around the place and he couldn't find anything. He was a believer in God and in Jesus Christ, but he felt like he was about to just lose grip with all reality. He doesn't, wasn't going to feel like he was going to be able to make it anymore. One day he was walking through his neighborhood like he did every day looking for work and he came across a little chapel and they were working on this chapel and they were fitting the stones inside this little chapel. 
putting them one by one, one by one, one by one. Day by day, he looked at this particular, uh, particular chapel that they were building, and he saw one workman, a stoneman, that was working on one particular stone. And uh, all the rest of the stonemen were working very difficult, very hard work. They were sweating. They were, they were tired. And every day for about a week, he saw this one man working on one stone. Finally, they got the best of him. He came by him and he said, hey, man, I got to ask you a question. He said, what's that, sir? He said, I noticed that everybody else here is working and, 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 is, and is slaving away on this particular chapel, building their, building their hardest and trying to do their best to put these stones in order and to get it all up there. Why are you sitting here doing nothing? And the man looked at him. He said, sir, he said, I'm the master builder. He said, oh, I'm sorry. He said, but what you don't understand is this. He said, I have been working tirelessly on one stone to fit exactly in the spot of the centerpiece of the chapel. You see, my friend, God is going to have to do some shaping on us before we can get up there. He's going to have to shave off some things. He's going to have to get us worked down so that we can fit up there in glory one day. God was just taking a little bit more off of Abraham. He was shaving some down. He was trying to get some things off of him so that he could be perfected unto glory one day. And the sharp blows of the master craftsman of Jesus Christ may be hard. They may not feel good. They might not be pleasant at the time. But I'm telling you, my friend, that God is doing a work in your life and in your heart right now just like he was doing in Abraham. Just like he was doing in his life. And Abraham responded correctly. He responded in the right way. And so we not only see Abraham's temptation, but we also see his preparation. I like what happens in verse number 3. Because if it would have been me, I don't know that I would have responded just like Abraham does. But he gives me a good example on how to live. He says in verse number 3, and Abraham rose up early. I don't even like to rise up early when i got to go to work. Amen. I don't even like to rise up early when everything's going good. I don't like to rise up early even when the coffee's brewing. Amen? But, I mean, I don't like to rise up early if I had a bad day yesterday or I had a bad week. You know the best thing that you can do if you're depressed, wore out, and, and you just don't feel good, and you just don't feel like getting up? Get up. Get up. That's what he did. He rose up early in the morning. I mean, he didn't waste any time. He didn't dilly-dally around. He didn't put off, uh, put off doing anything. He, he didn't forget anything. Yesterday, we had to go pick up something. And uh, we were riding down the road. I'd gotten everything. Man, I was well prepared. I thought I was doing good. I mean, I got the trailer on. I got everything ready to go. And I got about halfway down the road. And I said, ah, oh, I forgot the dolly. How many has ever tried to pick up a washing machine without a dolly? It don't work, okay? All right, so uh, the washing machine had gone out, and we needed a new washing machine and everything, and, uh, and I had to turn back around, go get the washing machine. I mean, Abraham didn't forget anything, didn't forget anything at all. He saddled up the ass. He took up the two men with him. He brought Isaac, his son. He claved the wood. He got the offerings. He got everything that he needed to get. What else did he get? He didn't forget the knife. He got everything that he needed. I always wondered, now this has nothing to do with the message, but what did he tell Sarah? 
You know, <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> I mean, I mean, if he was a good dad and a good husband, he didn't tell her anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, uh, if Luke told Alexis that, she, I mean, I mean, she might take the knife on Luke. I mean, I mean, that's, I mean, that this might, might be it right there. I mean, that, I mean, she probably, I, I don't think she knew. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. I don't know. It just has nothing to do with the message. But I just wonder what in the world did Sarah say? Didn't find out till they got home. Hey, Dad tried to kill me, Mom. You know what I mean? <laughs> but isn't it cool? He put a ram out there. You did what? You know what I mean? Can you imagine the household for the next week or so, man? Whew. That would have been something else. Abraham's temptation, his preparation, he was prepared. He was ready to go. The Bible says on the four, I remember verse number four, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place afar off. He knew where he was going. And what he says is outstanding. This is an amazing statement in verse number five. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder. And listen to what it says, and worship. And come again to you. I and the lad, if you know anything about grammar, I and the lad, him and I, are going to go up to the mountain. And the grammar is obvious here. It's implied that him and I will both come back down from the mountain. We will be coming back with you. If that weren't enough for us, if the grammar weren't enough, then you can take your Bibles over to the book of Hebrews in chapter number 11 in verse number 17. Because the Bible also affirms that to us, that that's exactly what he thought and believed. In Hebrews chapter number 11, in verse number 17, the Bible says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and when he had received the promises, offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Accounting, that is reckoning, or believing, and putting it to God's account. Putting it on God's account. That's what he did. He said, God, you've said it. I believe it. I'm putting it on your account. Aren't you glad when you get to go out to with, eat with somebody that's got a bigger account than you? Amen? They say, put it on my tab. They say, put it on my account. You ain't got to worry about anything, right? Aren't you glad when sometimes, you ever been on a, you ever been on a business trip and the boss pulls out and says, we got the company credit card right here? You know what I mean? Say, what's the limit? Say, there ain't no limit on this thing right here. You know what I mean? Ain't no limit. You just go use it. You go buy whatever you want to buy. You go get whatever you want to get right here. Whenever you put things on God's account, my friend, God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Amen? And he accounted it to God that he says that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. From whence also received him in a figure. What figure? That Jesus Christ was going to raise from the dead too one day. What he says is outstanding. And the difference between what you say and what you do is only, is what you do is people only believe, they only believe what you say when you do. That was a little confusing, let me say that again. The difference between what you say and what you do is people only believe what you say when you do. Say, so I'm going to get this for you. But if you don't ever get it, they're not going to believe you. Abraham didn't say, well, God, I, I, I'll get everything ready to go tomorrow, okay, God? I'll set my alarm. No, he didn't do any of that. He did what he said he was going to do. 
He was prepared. Obeying God is about being prepared, being faithful. Because here's the deal, you can't see God. Last time I checked, you can't see God. He's a spirit. You can't see the Lord in that aspect. So you're going to have to believe him and trust him and do even though you might not see. Abraham did not see the ram until he had faithfully obeyed. How long was the ram stuck in the thicket? The Bible says, going back to the text here in verse number 13, And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket. Now, I don't know about you, my friend, but I've seen a few rams in my life. And if one was over there in the bushes thrushing around, I think I might notice it when I walked up on top of the mountain. Amen? But guess what? He never seen the provision until he was obedient to God. That's when the provision was made. That's when the provision was seen. When he obeyed God and did what was right and did what God wanted him to do. And you're, not, you're probably not going to see the provision of what God is trying to put you in your life. He might not see the blessings. You might not see what God has in store for you. But here's the question. It's not if God is going to be faithful. God's always faithful. He never stops being faithful. God is always good. And when we question his goodness, we question his Godship. Okay? Because he is good. That's who he is. The faithfulness that we ought to question is our own. Don't question God's faithfulness. Question your own faithfulness. Am I faithful to God? Am I faithful to God? These are issues of faith that Abraham is dealing with. And it's the same issues that you're dealing with. You're not having to take a son or a daughter and take them to the Mount Moriah and sacrifice them, okay? That is not what you're going to have to do. I believe I can say that under the authority of the Word of God. I don't believe that's going to happen, okay? But you are going to have to live a godly, Christ-centered life. You are going to have to choose what's more important, my job or God. You are going to have to choose what's more important in life. Uh, Am I going to choose pleasure or or am I going to choose the Lord? Uh, Am I going to choose, what am I going to choose in life? You cannot serve two masters. Either you will love the one and hate the other. Either you will choose God or you won't. And Abraham chose the Lord, and he was wise in his choosings. No doubt in his early days, he had some bad decisions. He came to a land, and there was famine, and he went down to Egypt, and he tried to sell off his wife as a sister, or I should say put off his wife as a sister. That was not a good decision, amen? If you try to say your wife is your sister, and then she gets put into a, 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 to the king's palace, and she's going to become the wife of somebody else, that's not a good day, okay? All right? That's bad decision making. And we've all had bad decision making. But you know what we're supposed to do in our Christian life? Grow. Mature. Grow in your faith in Jesus Christ. Grow in your faith and belief in God. When God says, go tell that neighbor about Jesus Christ, what do you say? Say, I'll do it. I'll do it. Should God believe you in what you say or should God believe you in what you do? When God says, don't listen to that, don't put those, those things in your ears, don't look, look at that, don't say that, don't be angry with that person, quit being so bitter and hateful with them. Are you going to say, I, I, I'm trying, I, 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 just, I just can't bear to say I'm sorry. 
Well, what are you going to do with those kinds of things? You see, faith hits us on the practical level. Faith hits us on the nitty-gritty. Faith hits us right between the eyes, right where we need to go, because faith is really where it all boils down to. Do you believe God, or do you not believe God? God says for us fathers to be providers. God says for us fathers to not provoke our children unto wrath. God says for us, uh, for us fathers to raise up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Do you believe that? If you believe that, then you'll do that. If you'll do that, God will supply. We see Abraham's preparation, but we also see his temptation. Thirdly, we see his dedication. He is a dedicated man of God. For when he gets there to the top. Now, I don't know about you. Whenever it says in verse number 7. This is, I mean, this has been about the place, I mean, this is, if I'd, if I'd have been 100% successful all the way up to verse number 7, I think I would have broke it, verse number 7. And in verse number 7, it says this, and Isaac spake unto Abraham, Isaac, Isaac says to Abraham his father, my father, and he said, here am I, my son, and he asked this penetrating question to him, heart-wrenching question. We hold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? I tell you, I'd have broke right there. I'd have started crying and weeping and wailing. But Abraham's answer is so classic. It's, it's, it's epic. It's amazing. He looks at him and he says, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. That's a very unusual way of saying that, isn't it? He didn't say God will provide a lamb. He could have said that. And he'd been very accurate in what he said. But Abraham takes his relate. He doesn't just say God will provide a lamb. That's not as personal. Do you know what your faith in Jesus Christ is? It is a personal walk with God. I was telling the teenagers this morning, is that, you know, your car, whatever car you drive, your daily driver, you know, you got your daily driver. We're not Sunday drivers here, usually, you know. None of you got a, any of y'all got a Cadillac in the garage, you know, it's just it's your Sunday driver, you know what I mean? You just drive it on Sundays. Got 30,000 miles on it, it's a 1997, you know. Uh, Mason tells me that's probably not good for your car anyhow, <laughs> to, to, to have, to have 30,000 on 1997, but anyhow. Hey, you know what you are in the Christian walking life? You're a daily driver. This right here, this vessel right here is to be working for God every single day. This vessel right here is to be living for Jesus Christ on a daily basis. It is a personal walk with God. God doesn't, he, Abraham doesn't say, God will provide a lamb. That's kind of general. That's kind of, that's kind of, that's kind of aloof. He will take care. He will, he'll, no, he says he will provide himself a lamb. God will take care of it himself. Even the fact that it says himself is the idea even giving some clue to us that God would even take it a step further than this, this ram picture that we have here in Genesis chapter number 22. But rather, God was going to actually give of him own self. And later that is going to be his son, 
Jesus Christ, who is the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. But it's a personal walk. It's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ because that's what it takes to have dedication. It takes to have dedication if you're going to be personal. And he answers back with a heart of faith. He was dedicated. He was committed to the task. Nothing was going to stop him from obeying God. What would take you to stop obeying God? What trial? What difficulty? What, tra- what test would it take in your life? Some of y'all had some big tests, have had some very big tests in life. Some of y'all have had some very difficult tests. Some of y'all are going through a difficult trial at this very moment in your life. What is it going to take? What would it take for you? We were in Guyana, and um, Justin, Justin was kind of like the, the guy that just added humor to the whole entire trip. You know what I mean? You always need one of those guys. You know what I mean? When it's like blistering outside, you're sweating like crazy, Justin's always got a good joke to say, make you start laughing and everything, even though you're, you know, sweating like crazy and you're sunburnt and the mosquitoes are biting you and everything, so he goes, he goes, we're looking down, we're standing there and we're at the port, and uh, it's not like any port you would think of, but uh, you're at the port and you're looking down, and he's looking down at this water, and it's black, I mean black as tar, it's got oil floating on the top of it, trash all in the, all in and everything, and he goes, he goes, hey Matthew, I said, what? He goes, how much money would you? How much money would it take for you to drink some of that right now? <laughs> like, where does this guy get these things from? You know what I mean? I, you know, I said, I don't know. I don't know. He goes, ten thousand dollars. I said, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I said, what about you? I, I said, would you do it for ten grand? Oh yeah, I'd do it ten grand in a heartbeat. You know, give me ten grand, I'd do it right now. I said, five. He said, oh yeah, five, easy. He said, I'd definitely do it for five, easy. He said, think about it. He said, if I get sick, and I, but I've got five grand, you know, I just go to the hospital and I get well, I'm okay, you know. I said, well, about 500. Uh, you know, he starts to think about it a little bit. A thousand, you know. He goes, yeah, I'll do it for a thousand. I'll do it for a thousand. Well, I didn't have a thousand bucks on me right then, you know what I mean. So I pulled out one of my guy in his dollars, you know what I mean, a thousand dollars, which is equal to about two dollars and sixteen cents, you know what I mean. Here you go, there's a thousand bucks right there, go ahead. Uh, but no, he, you know, what would it take? What would it take for you to just quit on God? Dads, can I just throw something at you dads here for a second? Is that you got children watching you. And I don't care where they're at in life. I don't care what they're doing in life. I don't care how old they are in life. Can I just say this? You got some you got some kiddos watching you. And they're looking. And they're going to see if you quit. Are you going to quit? I think that statement could be same said the same to moms. Moms, they're looking at you. Grandparents, they're looking at you. got to stay dedicated and then we see this horrifying scene that comes upon us in verse number nine the altar is built everything's happened it's all laid in order the wood is in order it's all put together in verse number 10 it says abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son he was committed to the very end 
to the very end. He was not indecisive about what he was going to do. But he was dedicated in his obedience to God. Obedience is not always easy as Christians. God's never promised it to be. He's never promised that as a Christian, Jesus was for Jesus Christ, that it was going to be easy. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are when men will revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you for my name's sake. None of that is easy. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the merciful. It's not always easy being merciful to people that are definitely not merciful to you and kind to you and gracious to you. But God has called us to a life of dedication in Jesus Christ and to grow with him, to be obedient. And Abraham is an excellent example on what we should do and how dedicated we should be to Jesus Christ and to God Almighty. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, what? A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not transformed, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Ronald Reagan, you maybe I think I maybe have told this story before, but Ronald Reagan was at a point of indecisiveness in his very small age. And he remembered this when he was the president, when times came when he had to make a decision. Because if you're a leader of your family, you got to make decisions. You have to make decisions. You say, and some people just kind of freak out and think, what if I make the wrong decision? You know what? You might make the wrong decision. But that's part of being a leader. You sometimes make wrong decisions. And then you have to learn how to fix the wrong decisions. And learn how to live with them. Learn how to move on. Reagan was just a young child, and his aunt told him, she said, I'm going to buy you some shoes. She said, but I want you to choose square toe or round toe. Square toe or round toe, which one did you want? And in his autobiography, he writes about this story, and he kind of goes on and on. I won't do that this morning. But finally, he can't make a decision. Cannot make his mind up. And the shoemaker one day brings Reagan his shoes. He said, I never told you what I wanted. He said, I know. He said, go ahead, open the box. And you guessed it. One square toed, one round toed. And for the whole year, in those days, you only got one pair of shoes all year. For the whole year, every day to school, one round, one square. Can you imagine how silly that looked? Can you imagine that he got made fun of at school? Can you imagine, you know, children are cruel, aren't they, you know? Can you imagine at school what people said? Can you imagine what people thought? Can you imagine what he thought every time he put on those stupid pair of shoes and looked at those things? He thought to himself, how stupid can I be? You know? I couldn't even make a decision on square or round toad. And from that day forward, he said he made a decision not to be indecisive anymore about things. And my friend, you've got to, as a parent, you've got to, as a father, you've got to, as a Christian, to learn to not be indecisive about your walk with Jesus Christ, that it is something that is true, that is something that you're going to follow him no matter what, no matter how great or how hard it is that you're going to follow him, you're going to be dedicated to the cause of Jesus Christ. And then finally, look at this. We've seen all about Abraham, but it's good to see something about God. God's provision. God's provision is laid out for us at the, end of the cha- at, the end, at the end of it all whenever God calls out to him and he says, Abraham, Abraham, aren't you, isn't it amazing that he was so dedicated to the calls that he, was, that he was called to that God had to say something to him twice? You ever thought about that? 
That he didn't just say Abraham. No, he had to call out to him. He had to yell out to him. Abraham, Abraham, what? Stop him two times. And as we close this story out here this morning, we see this marvelous blessings of this, that faithful followers always produce fruitful blessings. Faithful following always produces fruitful blessings. He raised up the knife. He was going to kill his only begotten son. But he says, don't do it. Don't lay your hand to him. And then he looks around and he sees the ram caught in the thicket. You'll never, you're, you're, you never will be blessed in your deed when, you're, when you do stuff with impatience, greed, envy, self-gratitude, or carelessness. When we live our lives for ourselves, when we live our lives before what we think is best or what I want to do or how I want to live or how I want to please myself, understand, my friend, you're not going to be blessed of God. You might be blessed in other ways. There might be some other things that come up. might be some temporary blessings that may come upon you in your life, but you're not certainly being blessed by God. God does not bless envy and pride. He does not bless carelessness and self-gratitude. Or he does not bless envy and greed and impatience. God does not bless those things. Well, the squeaky wheel, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. You know what I mean? Yeah, that might work with God in the sense that you ought to pray with God. Beg God. Seek God. I understand those kinds of things. But don't be impatient with life. Don't be impatient with God. Don't be impatient with others. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth Therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. This man, this person, this one. They please to him. He says, don't do this. Stop doing what you're doing. And then God provides for him this beautiful substitute of the ram caught in the thicket. And I don't need to say this to you long enough. Many of you are Christians here this morning. But let me just say it for all of us to be encouraged and strengthened in our own faith with Jesus Christ. That this ram was a substitute. He was a substitute for Isaac. And right now, my friend, Jesus Christ is that ram. Jesus Christ is our substitute. We are, we are the ones that should be slain and should be killed. Father God Almighty stands in heaven, and if you will, with a knife stretched out, ready to slay, ready to kill. We find even in the book of Revelation, I just opened it up there this morning, and I see there in that book, there, that, that very book, that here he is, he's standing. He's dressed in a glorious apparel. I mean, he is coming one day with a sword coming out of his mouth. He's going to kill those enemies. And my friend right now, God Almighty, if you will, proverbially stands with knife in hand. But Jesus Christ, praise God, is the substitute. He is the atonement. He is the substitutionary atonement for our sins. He is our propitiation. The appeasement of God's wrath upon us, my friend. He satisfies the wrath of God. He has satisfied it. He is pleased with the sacrifice that Jesus has made for us. So that we might be saved. Because this was written, it says in John 20, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. God will provide. Will you remain faithful? There's no question on God's faithfulness. The question lies on ours. The doubt should lie on mine. 
What's your faithfulness like to God? Because God's name, he says in verse number 14, is Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh. God, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. That God, in the greatest of difficulties, when all human assistance is vain, God will make a suitable provision for the deliverance of those that will trust in him. His provision, his provision, will come to those that trust in him. There was a, many of you might know, Sir Walter Raleigh. Sir Walter Raleigh oftentimes was going in front of the Queen of England on behalf of different convicts, begging for their release, begging for mercy for them. Sir Walter Raleigh was in front of the Queen of England one time, begging for a particular convict's release, that he had done enough, that he had served his time. The Queen of England finally looked at Sir Walter Raleigh. She said, Sir Walter Raleigh, I won't give you my best English accent either here this morning, all right? Sir Walter Raleigh, why do you continuously beg for the mercy of these convicts? Sir Walter Raleigh looked right at her and he said, I will cease to be a beggar when the queen ceases to be a giver. My friend, you and I need to be a beggar to God because God will never cease to be a giver. He will never cease to be a giver. He wants to give unto those that will beg him and seek him and go after him. Seek him and you'll find him. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. Ask, ask and it will be given unto you. It's time for us to see the faithful provision of God and the fruitful, bountiful blessings of God in our life. And if we'll do so, then let us be remain faithful to God. For the Bible says, but without faith it is impossible, impossible to please him. To please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. What are you seeking this morning? Who are you seeking? And we all seek after God. Father, we're thankful for